into our passage tonight. We come here to Joshua 14 and chapter 15. A lot of chapter 15, there, there's a lot of cities and names there and so forth. And a, a lot of that we're just going to kind of talk about and point out some key things. But remember what's going on at this point. Joshua has, um, you know, we talked about him last week. He's really, he's, he's ran the race for the Lord. And we saw him from early on, and we'll, we'll touch on this again tonight. When they first went there into the, the, uh, you know, the wilderness out of Egypt, and it was time for them to go in the promised land. And Joshua, and we'll talk about a lot about Caleb tonight, they wanted to go. And you know, they were discouraged by the other ten spies, and uh, they ended up being in that wilderness for 40 years. And we just saw Joshua in that whole time just being a faithful servant, uh, uh, an assistant to, to Moses. Uh, boy, what a, what a legacy, you know, so oftentimes people say, well, I, you know what, I want my name in the limelight, I want to be a leader, but what a, what a great legacy of being a faithful assistant to Moses for 40 years, and uh, something that indeed God commends, and then Moses passed, and he led then the children of Israel there into the promised land, where they just begin to get victory after victory as they walk by faith, it says they defeated 31 kings there, in the land of Canaan. And then we saw where God said to Joshua, uh, it says Joshua was old, and then God said, you're old and advanced in years, you know. You don't find political correctness there in the Bible. You're old and advanced in years, but there's still more for you to do. And we talked about that last week. You know what? We serve the Lord till the day we die. It might look different, you know, at different times in our life, but the call to walk with the Lord is always the same. We don't retire from fellowship with God and service unto the Lord. And so we know that God said, it's time for you now to distribute the land. And they had gone into the land. They got a lot of victories. But there was still more land for them to go and to conquer. And so the division to the tribes was being uh, 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 dictated and then when you get into you get into judges, in fact, it's a little bit in Joshua as well. Then the tribes, each tribe, and we'll talk more about the tribes of Israel tonight. They'd go in that specific land, and they'd have to even weed out more of the enemy within that. But they needed to know where God had called each specific tribe. Tribe, uh, you know, where where the Lord had, uh, you know, what told them to go and so forth. So Joshua's doing that, and now where we are here. In, in the book is we are finding out exactly where the borders were for each one of these tribes. And in the midst of that, we're also seeing their interaction with the Lord, as well as some various accounts of smaller tribes or individuals going out and waging war in those areas and getting victory as they stepped out in faith. So let's start here tonight by just reading verses 1 down through five, and we're just going to make our way down through this text, and um, we're going to see again tonight a lot about Caleb, and then the land the Lord allotted to him that was occupied once again, we'll talk about giants in the land, and these characters just come up over and over again in the scripture, um, and so we get a lot of insight into that, and even the call to spiritual warfare, it's very much an application to that in our walks with the Lord Jesus today. So it says there, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, 
and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance amongst them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except the cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, very interesting here. It says that, that God moved on Moses, on Moses' hand, to divide the land by lot. And then Joshua gave a lot more specifics and so forth. Um, you know what? We absolutely want to be a people that are asking God to guide our hands, to guide our steps, to go before us at every single turn. I, I want to be guided by the Lord because I find when I guide myself, bad things happen. <laughs> but when we're led by the Lord, good things happen. And praise God, we can open up His Word that is a lamp into our path and a light into our feet. We get direction from the Scripture. We get that general direction. And as I've said many times, it's biblical as we're following God's general Word. Boy, we have a lot, a, a lot more of an open ear to the specifics of the Holy Spirit in our life and are a lot more sensitive to those confirmations which what's interesting here though it says that the inheritance was by lot as the lord commanded by the hand of moses and there's some of these old testament practices that they're absolutely they are not new testament practices um the 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 old testament the priests had the umum and thumum which we 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 don't know a lot about but there were these stones that at times they would turn to for direction, and God instituted this. God gave it to the high priest. And there, there's different speculation on how these work. We really don't know. There's a mystery to it. But we do know it was instituted by God, and that's the key thing. And so at times they would turn to those for direction to get an answer from the Lord. That is not a New Testament thing. We don't have an umum and a thumum somewhere over in the church office. We, we, don't, we don't have that. Um, there were other times when they would cast lots. And I don't know exactly, and we don't know exactly what that would look like as well. Some think maybe it was some sort of dice type of thing they would throw. But we do know this. It's not a, it's not a New Testament practice. These things aren't instituted in the New, in the New Testament. Um, in fact, in the New Testament, we see early on in Acts that after they recognized Judas who had taken his life needed to be replaced, they did some sort of like lot system and, you know, to, to come up with who the next apostle was supposed to be. And we can pretty clearly see they got that wrong. That that was Paul, that God appointed him into that place. And you don't see that practice there in the uh, New Testament. And it's just important that we know that, that, that we are walking... Uh, you know, according to God's prescribed manner when it comes to our lives. We're looking for direction as God's told us to look for that in our lives in this New Testament, this new covenant that we're in with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those answers and direction, they're going to be found, first of all, in God's Word. Look, at, we got to even know here in Joshua's time, at this point, they probably had 
a compilation of the first five books of the Bible. And, and then that would begin to be built on, you know, up until about 400 years before the time of Christ. They didn't have the written word in its fullness and completeness, and completeness as we have now. Even as we talked about Sunday, they knew a Savior was coming, but they didn't have all the details. You know, they didn't have all those prophecies that we can look back on and see. Those things came slowly over time. So the Lord gave them some different ways to get direction from Him. Again, we have all of God's Word. I'm telling you right now, if you're someone, you're like, man, I really want direction for my life. I want guidance. I'm going to tell you right now where you can get that. Be a man or a woman that is in the Word of God. You're in the Word of God every single day. And you will be amazed as you open the Scripture and you say, Lord, minister to my heart. I want to learn more about you. Absolutely. I want to learn about more who I am. I want direction and guidance. And, and I, I want direction and guidance not only for my walk with you, but, but even in life of what you would have for me. And it is amazing as you get into the Scriptures how God will speak to you. How God will take you know, at various accounts of Scriptures and so forth and will at times even press on your heart how that applies to different situations and decisions and so forth that are before you. But there's so many people, they don't get in the Word of God, and they say, well, I never really hear from God. Well, you got to open up. God wants to speak to you. Open up the Scriptures, man, and you're going to hear from the Lord. And then from there, obviously, we have a call to a prayer life, to be a people that are bringing our cares and concerns, you know, at second to our praises and thanksgiving to God and asking God for direction and guidance and so forth. And um, look at the Lord never speaks anything that opposes the scripture. But in the word, we do read at times of God pressing matters on people's hearts, giving them direction. Many a time when, you know what, uh, we see individuals called the ministries and so forth, God giving them a burden. Like Paul even saying, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It's pressed upon him by the Spirit of God in conjunction with the Word of God. And then there's other areas as well where there's different spiritual gifts that at times God will use to speak to us through. Uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words. But again, with those things, they're always going to line up with Scripture. You know, if someone says, I got a prophetic word for you, you're to leave your wife and go across the other side of the world. That ain't from God, bro. You're there to be with your wife. You're there to be committed to her. And I've actually heard words like that given. Those aren't scriptural words. Those things are going to line up with the word of God. They're not going to oppose the scripture. And let me tell you, if God does speak to you in that way, He's going to be faithful to confirm it by two or three witnesses. And there's been many times in my life where there was a big decision at hand, really seeking God's word, and he confirmed it to me in multiple ways. Confirmed it to me through scripture, confirmed it to me through pressing things on my heart. And there's been times as well where he confirmed those things through prophetic words. And maybe you're in a place where you got a big decision, and uh, you know, you, but you don't know that's where I would encourage you all the more to get in God's word, to get on your face in prayer and hear this. Don't get ahead of God. Wait on the Lord and let God give you direction and guidance. So again, look at that. These aren't New Testament practices, the umum and thumum and casting lots. They're not a New Testament pr practice. But listen, in, in the sense of God moved Moses' hand in this sense, God was doing this. 
there are New Age practices that counterfeit some of these New Testament and Old Testament practices. And we do need to be aware of that. And uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but uh, on, um, I think it was on Monday I was doing something and I was listening to a podcast. There's a lady named Dor- Doreen Virtue, I think is her name. And um, I, think, I, I think I got her name right. She uh, wrote 67 New Age books. Uh, she was the number one seller of New Age books in America, if not the world. So this is someone who is an expert, if there was ever one, on New Age uh, doctrine, interaction. that She didn't know at the time, but she knows now with the demonic, occult practices, and so forth. And she was saying, you know, the way that I would write my books is I would empty my mind and meditate, and then voices would come upon me, and then I would write my books. And it's interesting, the podcast that she was given, she was talking about the book Jesus Calling. And she was pointing out the dangers in this book. And she says the author says that this was inspired by a book called God Calling, which was written, I believe, in the early 1900s. It's a New Age book. And it was written by, no one knows the authors, by anonymous listeners who would empty their mind. And again, kind of similar to how God moved Moses' hand, they're asking for these entities to move in their mind and a lot of times even move their hand in automatic handwriting. She said, that's how I wrote my book. And she's pointing out Sarah Young, who wrote Jesus Calling, which has sold like 20 million copies, so we're not talking about something minor. But look at this, on my heart to share this tonight because we need to be aware of these things. She says, you know what, she's saying she wrote, wrote this book according to this new age way. And then she just started bringing out all the error in this book. You know, it teaches pantheism, that God's everywhere and everything, and the vast amount of contradictions to the scripture. But the thing that really stood out to me, again, was the practice and then what she said. And, and it, it's one thing if I stand up here and say something like, this is new age, people will go, well, you know what, yeah, you're a pastor, but you never were a new age, or I did some weird stuff before I came to the Lord. But, you know, I, I didn't write 67 books through automatic handwriting by demons. And so Doreen Virtue said, this book is more dangerous. Hear this. Again, this is probably the leading expert. If there's any Christian in the world who is an expert on these sayings, it is her. And saying this is not going to spread her platform now as a Christian minister. So someone, you know, th- this is the exact opposite that you would do uh, if, if uh, you're just wanting to get listeners. She said that Jesus Calling, because of the content of it and the way that it was written by admission of the author through a New Age practice, she said, this book, Jesus Calling, building it up, building it up, the drama, it's worse than the Satanic Bible because it poses itself as Christian but it teaches all the same things, new age practices, where she tries to teach people how you can meditate out and then you'll hear from the Lord in that same way. We don't hear from the Lord that way. We get into God's word. We're a people of prayer. We test the spirits to make sure it is the Holy Spirit and we test it by the word of God. And so again, you can take or leave what she says, uh, but I would take it if I were you. Uh, because even if you begin to, again, measure that doctrine, it's nowhere scripture. It's very, very dangerous. And for someone in that place to say that, uh, I know people get offended, people get upset, because it's a book that just kind of pulls people's spirit in, because it's 
Jesus is your boyfriend, and he wants to affirm in whatever you do, however you do it. There's no gospel in it and so forth. I mean, you can be in complete rebellion, and Jesus said he loves you, and you know, you're going to prosper and whatever. And that's the draw on it. There's a, there's, a, there's a demonic draw in it. And I tell you, I've seen people's like face contort and then like, like want to cha- r- strangle me for saying, hey, wait a minute, this, this isn't scriptural. And I think that's the spirit behind that oftentimes. So test those things. But I just, that came to mind looking at this. And I, I think it was important for us just to talk about how do we hear from God? And then these Old Testament things are new covenant. And then how the enemy, you know what, he imitates things. And that's why we test things by the word. We test the spirit by the word. We test the doctrine by the word, not by our feelings. You hear that tonight? And too many people do that, and then they get sucked into this utter nonsense that is just so anti-scriptural. We have a lot of pamphlets out there, free pamphlets out there on this stuff, books on our bookstore, and I've taught about it many, many a time. So, so anyhow, Moses is led by the Lord through the casting of the lots when it comes to the distribution of the land. And then Joshua began to give specific borders Interesting here, this explains, though, this little passage here is how there's 12 tribes of Israel, but actually 13 tribes, but really only 12 tribes. Has that ever confused you? We're like, well, wait a minute. Is there 12 or 13 of them? What's going on here? And basically, he breaks down here that there's 12 tribes, two and a half already got their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan, Simeon, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. But he says here, for the Levites, they're not inheriting any land other than the small pieces of property where they would live inside of the borders of each tribe where they would be there to instruct the people and to make intercession for them. And remember we saw last week, their inheritance wasn't land. Their inheritance was, was bringing the sacrifice of God, serving God, and God himself. And see, guys, that's our inheritance ultimately. God gives us charge over much. Again, we read of mansions and so forth and glory, which is great. But in Christ Jesus, are you in Christ Jesus tonight? Can you say amen to that? You have a greater inheritance as God himself, where he is our God and we are his people. And let me tell you, I know a lot of people go, we got to write some books so people will get excited about heaven. There'll be racquetball and all this kind of stuff. Bro, in heaven, in Christ Jesus, you're, you're going to be in perfect contentment forever in a perfect relationship with God Almighty and everything else is going to be a bonus on the side. That's all that it's going to be. And, and we have that. So he's explaining here how Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So they're the grandsons of Israel. And each of them had their own inheritance. So Joseph gets split and all of a sudden you have 13 tribes. But people say the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes got their land and then the Levites were dispersed throughout their land. Now, real quick, it's interesting in Revelation chapter 7, it's during the Great Tribulation, which we've talked a lot about. You know, we spent about two, two and a half years on end time stuff on Wednesday night, went through Revelation, Daniel, the Olivet Discourse, all that stuff's online and so forth. I mean, we went into great detail, but we know one of the main functions of the Tribulation is bringing all Israel into salvation. And at one point there in the, in the Great Tribulation, uh, we know that God numbers 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And so these tribes are, are still, uh, you know what, 
uh, uh, in the world today. In fact, if you go to Israel, you'll run into certain people that know what tribe they're from. And you'll, you go, well, how do you know that? And some know it through geneolo- genealogical records that they've kept. I was at the Temple Institute one day, and we're talking about this, and this guy comes to the back, back, I'm from the tribe of Judah. And I'm like, really? <laughs> how do you know that? He goes, my family has records back past the time of King David. We have every generation written down. And so God has kept them a pure people, as well as there's others that know they're of a tribe because of, uh, of various ways they can identify through DNA. They can always identify a Levite through their DNA. But here's the thing, God knows, and, and that's the bigger thing. And so we know there's 144,000 of these Jews that are sealed to be used by God in the Great Tribulation, really to preach the gospel. And what's interesting is those tribes are listed there in Revelation 7. And we see Manasseh and Joseph, but we don't see Ephraim. And we see the Levites, then all of a sudden in the 12, but we don't see the tribe of Dan. Interesting, in Hosea 4, 17, it says, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. And then in the prophecy concerning Dan there in 49, 16, where Jacob or Israel is prophesying over his sons, he says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path, that bites the horse's heel so the rider shall fall backward. That's, that's not a great thing to prophesy about you. And because of that, some even believe that the Antichrist may come from the tribe of Dan. And the tribe of Dan was just always, for the most part, causing problems. You know what? There one main guy in Scripture, Samson. You talk about, for lack of a better theological word, a weirdo. I mean, this dude was all over. Praise God. He, he finished well at the very end, but just all over the place. And you don't, you don't see them, though, in, in Revelation, but praise God, in Romans, and we've talked much about this, God says, don't be ignorant concerning Israel, because all Israel will be saved. And see, this is an encouragement. God does not lose his tribes, and God does not lose his people. All Israel will be saved. And what's beautiful, if you go to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 40 through 48, it's all about the millennial temple where Christ will reign for a thousand years after the great tribulation. And when you go to Ezekiel 48, guess what? All 12 tribes are, are listed. Ephraim and Manasseh are listed together as the tribe of Joseph. And then all of a sudden, you know who appears out of nowhere? Oh, Dan's back. And I rejoice in that. You know, that might be a long way. And, and I know some folks, you know what? They, they're fascinated with this stuff. We should be aware of it. But I go all of that to rejoice in this. The Lord does not lose his sheep. Is that not good news? God doesn't lose his sheep. And that's where we can rest when we have a genuineness of faith in the Lord, that the Lord is going to keep his people. And I just celebrate that and rejoice in that. We come here to verse 6, and it says, Then the children of Israel came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzanite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the lamb, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, and I love this, but I wholly follow the Lord my God. Now in a second here, we're going to go back and read a little bit of that again. 
We've talked a lot, of, about, a lot about this in the book of Joshua. We know when Israel was delivered out of Egypt, they were getting ready to go into this land that they're in now, that they're conquering now, as God allotted to them, as God deeded that to them, and it's still deeded to them in this, to this day. Um, he sent 12 spies in, one from each tribe, to go and check out the land, to, to basically make battle plans and so forth. We know that 10 of the spies came back, and we'll read it here in a minute, and they just said, it's too much for us. Um, indeed, it's a land of milk and honey, as God has said, but it's a land full of the Anakim. It's a land full of giants, and it's too much for us. Two of the spies, though, Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 no. Look at, let's go and take it right now. God's going to give it to us. They had faith, not in their ability to go out and to defeat them on their own. I mean, these are warist nations that have been practicing war for some 405 years. The children of Israel are people that have been slaves for the last 400, 500 years. And generally, slave owners don't teach slaves how to use combat and military means. Otherwise, there might be a throw over. So they, they, didn't, they weren't soldiers at all. But I'll tell you what they were. They were soldiers of the Lord. These two, they had faith in God. Well, you know what happened oftentimes with the masses? They listened to the majority versus they, the, the minority, the followers of, of Christ or the remnant. And it says as a result of that bad report, the people's hearts melted. Listen here tonight. Be careful with your counsel. Let's make sure we point people to the truth of God, to the power of God, to the person of Christ, to the Lord's ability to renew minds to meet us where we're at versus telling people nonsense and, and not properly representing God and, and His Scripture that causes people to melt and shrink back with their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you get that nonsense when you give worldly counsel versus the Word of God. Well, when that happened, God told Moses, listen, this whole generation is going to pass away that's listening to these ten spies. You're not going to inherit the land. And all kinds of rigmarole happens with it back then. But he says, as far as you, Caleb and Joshua, you're going to be the only survivors of this first generation, and you are going to inherit the land. And Caleb said, I was 40 years back. I was 40 years old back then. And now when we went in, I was 80. We'll see in a second. He says, I'm 85 now, and I have wholly followed the Lord. And basically he's saying, I'm ready to go get what God promised to me back then. God's promises are yes and amen, and I'm ready to go. I'm, I, look, my, I might be an old man by number, but I got the strength of God, you know what, in my heart and in my life. Uh, he'll get more into that in a second. But I love it. He says, I've wholly followed the Lord my God. And so he believed back then, and for those 40 years in the wilderness, he believed. And for these five years in the promised land, he has believed. And he's still believing. He's like, I'm not doubting the promises of God. God unfolds his promises in our life in his perfect timing. And we got to be a people and learn to be patient. There's, there's times when God is going to unfold an inheritance or, or maybe a blessing or even a call to a ministry. Um, various aspects of our walk with the Lord in his perfect timing. And listen, sometimes we need to go through a wilderness for 40 years to get prepared for that. To be able to handle that. To be able to even walk with that. Now, one thing before we move forward here that's interesting, he says, I have wholly followed the Lord my God. And that, that word holy, it means to fulfill. 
So he doesn't say, hey, for, for 80 years I've had a feeling towards God. He, he's, he's not saying, I feel like I've, you know, I feel like I've done something or I, I've, I've had an affection for God for all those years. We should have an affection for God. But I've wholly followed the Lord my God. It means not I've had a feeling, but I have fulfilled the call of God on my life. I've been a doer of the word. I've wholly followed him and I have fulfilled what he has put upon me and what he has put upon my plate. And it's so important that we take that mindset on. Because as we talked about many times, you, you, you don't have to venture out far, you know what, out, out there to see. We have a world today that bases pretty much everything on a feeling. Well, you know, you even bring the truth. Well, I feel, bro, it don't matter what you feel. It's what God's word says. And, and there's a reason for feelings and so forth, and they have a place. But feelings need to be subjected to the word of God. And I'll tell you, feelings, they lie to us often. And we need to make sure that we are a people. If we want to wholly follow the Lord God, do you want to follow him wholly? Can we say amen to that? Then listen, that comes down to fulfilling the word, doing the work, moving forward in Christ. We looked at this verse on Sunday, 2 Timothy 4, and I'm not going to read through all of it again, 1 through 4, we're commissioned to preach the word. And he says, the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, they'll heap up false teachers that, that you know, basically present a false Christianity according to their own desires or feelings. But then in verse 5, he says, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's the definition of holy following God's word. Where we are out doing the work, we are fulfilling what God has called us to do versus I got a feeling. No, I am fulfilling what God has called me to. And again, anything he calls us to, he's going to empower us by his spirit and equip us by his word to be able to go out and do that. So very interesting word there. It means to fulfill. And they all knew he was telling the truth. I mean, these guys have been together a whole lot. They knew this was based on him fulfilling his call. Now, verse 9, it says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden, so shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. And he said, Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he has said, these 45 years, even since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. And as yet I am as strong this day as the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and the cities were great and fortified, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. So again, look at the children of Israel. They've gone through a lot out there in that wilderness. And that first generation, they all passed except Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they wholly followed the Lord. They believed the Lord. Now, we all got days that are allotted to us, and God knows when that day is going to be. But let me tell you something tonight. The safest place to be in the world is to be in the place where you're wholly following the Lord. <laughs> There's a lot of individuals that die suddenly in the Scripture because they're in rebellion against God. A lot of judgment comes upon cities and nations 
from man's viewpoint, they would say that's premature. They're not at the age they should pass because they do not wholly follow the Lord. Now, again, God knows the end from the beginning, and He knows when those days are going to come. But even in that, I'm going to tell you, the safest place in the world to be, again, is wholly following the Lord. And we need to know that because there are a lot of people that say today, be careful, wholly following the Lord, you're going to put yourself in danger. Steve, be careful what you're preaching up there. You're going to bring some danger upon yourself and preach in that way. You're putting yourself in a dangerous place. I've had many, I'm not trying to boast in that or anything, but many people say that to me. You keep preaching like that, I hear, you might get arrested one of these days. Let me tell you tonight, the safest place to be in a pulpit is holy preaching the word of God unapologetically. Safest place to be. The safest place for you to be is wholly following the Lord and the call upon your life and that call to represent Jesus Christ to the culture around us. But Satan uses fear. He uses fear and he always brings threats and intimidation to try to get us to shrink back from wholly following the Lord because we think that's not a safe place to be. It is the absolute safest place to be. These dudes were, were, you know what, they they were waging wars and so forth out there in that wilderness. And yet these two who were leaders, Joshua and Caleb, again, the Lord had kept them alive because they wholly followed or they had compromised. They said, we're going to fully serve God. We are not compromising. We don't care what's said about us. We don't care what battles we have to fight. And guess what? He says, God's kept us alive because we've wholly followed the Lord. That's the safest place for you to be. Get that in your heart tonight. Because again, so often, Satan will get us to shrink back because we say, well, I want to play it safe. You want to play it safe? Then wholly follow the Lord. Holy follow the Lord. Our own understanding says, don't do that. Play it safe over here. That's not the safe place. The safe place is in the will of God Almighty. God can fight your battles. God will keep you safe. God will go before you. And listen, even if things are stripped from you for wholly following the Lord, I am fully convinced scripturally that it's all the more God will pour out His Holy Spirit upon you and meet you where you're at and use that situation even all the more to glorify God and God going before you. They'd wholly follow the Lord and God had kept them because of that. And I love it. Again, 45 years has passed, but God's faithful to his promise. And he has given Caleb a God-sent vigor, you can sort of speak. He's like, I'm 85 years old, but I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. And maybe it was even something that 85-year-old Caleb will go back and pin 40-year-old Caleb. I don't know. But what I know, he says, at least be a tie because I'm as strong as I was back then. And here's the thing. When you wholly follow the Lord, God's going to give you the strength to go and do what he has called you to do, whatever that looks like. And then I love his confidence. He says, now give me this mountain. You know, he's really claiming what's his. This was allotted to me. So give me this mountain because I'm going to go out. The Lord's going to go with me and I'm going to drive out giants from that land. And here's the thing we're going to see that specifically these giants, these Anakim, were the ones that the 10 spies had seen and said the Anakim are there, the sons of Anak, and we can't go. And Caleb was like, let's go. God's going to give them to us. And now he is 45 years later. You would think, you know, maybe it is an old man now. And all he'd go, but I can't. But he's all the more confident. God's going to go before us. And we got some unfinished business here. I, I, lo- I love that mindset mentality. 
And I just ask the Lord to instill it deep in every single one of us. Can we say amen to that? Now listen to show these are giants because the title of the message is Caleb drives out, uh, what is it, the, An- the Anakim, the, the giants or something like that. You got it there on your paper. But again, go, this goes back to what we've been talking about. This is when they come out of Egypt there in Numbers thirteen twenty six. It says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the Lamb. We know it was so big they had to carry the grapes on poles because they were this massive. It says, They told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and all along the banks of the Jordan. This is what we're speaking of these 45 years earlier in verse 30. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome that. And that was based on his faith in God, not in their skill set when it comes to fighting wars. Verse 31 says, But the men who had gone up with them said, We're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. See, this is how Satan wants us to believe when it comes to following the Lord. And he brings these lies and these reports, and our flesh will bring these lies and reports. Boy, you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to get devoured. And all the people who we saw are men of, notice, great structure. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were there in their sight. And so again, these are giants. We talked about them recently. This is when sons of God or angels, they had a a temptation and there was an allowance for them to fall and it seems take on an earthly form and have relations with the daughters of men with humans. And they produced giants. They didn't produce normal men. And we talked about the reason they did this, they were trying to cut off the seed of the Messiah. They were trying to distort the genetics of mankind to prove God a liar. And so the Savior couldn't come forth. This is the reason for the great flood. God did a reboot because giants had basically pretty much taken over the world or these descendants. So God says, we got to start this over. And this is why as well, God would say, go in and wipe them all out because they are antichrist trying to cut off the coming Messiah. So you have a job to go in here and to cut these things off and we're to cut things out of our life that are antichrist. So it's 45 years later and Caleb says again, it's, 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 there's unfinished business. Again, they're giants, but the Lord's with me and I'll, I shall be able to drive them out. Now just an application for us. We need to take this heart and mind on when it comes to the demonic. Look at Satan walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're going to get into that pretty soon in First Peter on Sunday morning. Uh, Maya and myself, just like Joshua and himself in his own skill set, Israel would have gotten routed by these giants. Look at if it, if it was just David versus Goliath and like take God out of the equation, David's not going to win. He, he's, he's not going to win. 
It, it don't even matter if he's got those five stones. God, God's the one that moved that stone and brought that giant down. David had faith in the Lord. Because God has said, one of you will put, put a thousand to flight, and two will put ten thousand to flight. You just believe me, and I'm going to go before you. It had nothing to do with David's skill set. Yes, God used him to be able to sling a stone, but it's God that brought that giant down. And again, when it comes to the enemy of our soul, when it comes to the demonic, which they're, 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 we, are, we live in a time that is, that is just grossly wicked. I was saying, when you get into a wicked society, there's, there's even more of a movement of spiritual warfare, of, of the demonic, the demons working through people and situations and you know, things out there that want to influence us and so forth. And in of ourselves, none of us in this room are a match for the devil or demons. We, 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 just, we just aren't. We're going to get routed. We're, we're going to lose. But listen, that's not the case when our faith is in Christ Jesus. And we need to be aware of the devil. And, and I think there's a thing where some people, they think a demon's like around every corner. You know, they got to rebuke the devil out of the roast beef sandwich. And it's just like this. Oh, and then there's people over here, they just, oh, you know, the devil's locked up somewhere. But bro, you're not reading your Bible. There's, some people believe that. We, we want a balanced approach. We're in a spiritual warfare. But here's the thing we need to know. As these men had victory over these giants, we have victory over the devil himself. Listen to this. Jesus said, well, it says in Luke uh, 10, 17, the 70 returned with joy saying, God has sent these 70 missionaries out. Jesus had. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpios and over the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. And here's the thing, listen, we have an authority in Jesus' name over demons and devils. But hear this, how much of that authority I exercised, hear this through, is always going to be based on my measure of faith in the Lord and in His Word, which will always be seen in my believing, and this is huge, and the way I live my life, which will always be a reflection of my measure of faith, of the faith I have or the faith I don't have. Amen. Don't tell me you're a man or a woman of great faith if you go out and live like the world. You're not. Amen. You are not. You're not wholly following the Lord. Joshua wholly followed the Lord, and no doubt his faith built. David was a young man that wholly followed the Lord, so they were not intimidated by these giants. Not because of us but because we walk with God and we know God and our faith is in God and we know God's going to slay them through my hand to the glory of God. There's a lot of people that talk a big game. Well, I believe, I believe. But by the measure of their life, they don't believe. They'll be the first one to come down. We're going to rebuke demons and this and that. And then, you know, the next night they're off doing their own thing, partying, whatever else, living just like the world. That's not the measure of someone that has faith. Amen. Faith is going to be seen in the way that you live your life. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 16, or 10.6. And it's talking about their practices back in this time. It points out their sinful practices. That they should be an example to us not to follow those. It says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they've also lusted. 
And do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted. And notice, take note of this, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These were a people that had a covenant with God. Now all these things happened to them as examples, for they were written for our admonition upon the ends of the ages have come. They were in a covenant, but they did not have a deep faith. And that was seen in the way that they lived their life. And as a, pro, as a byproduct, they got bit by serpents and the destroyer destroyed them. They got ran roughshod over by the devil. It's same true in our lives, man. Look at when you walk with the Lord holy in your heart, that's when, again, you'll know that, that you're walking by faith. And we have to be true in measuring that versus, well, I got a feeling. I got a feeling in Jesus' name, blah, blah. It's a good question. If people keep binding these devils, who keeps loosing them? You know what looses them? Our sin, our lack of faith. Our, we'll go live however we want, carnal. We're not going to give you know, any respect to God's word and so forth. But boy, I'm going to come up and rebuke some devils. You ain't rebuking anything. We have to believe in the Lord and exercise faith and then be true to say, look at my faith is going to be seen in the way that I live my life. Caleb went and slew those giants and we'll see him slewing them in here in a second because he wholly followed the Lord. Again, every time you see a giant go down, we talked about Moses slew giants. He fully, wholly followed the Lord. Joshua slew giants. He wholly followed the Lord. David slew giants. He wholly followed the Lord. They were men of faith, but it was seen in the way they lived their lives. And I'll tell you, when we follow the Lord, I, I, I'm going to tell you the devil flees. We have an authority over demons where, look, at prayers are different. You believe that when you read it and you pray and look at you, 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 you there, there's an authority that we have in the name of Jesus Christ Hebrews eleven six says but without faith it's impossible to please him for you comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder and some people stop right there a rewarder of those who diligently seek him so listen the combination is here I must believe that he is and he's a rewarder and the thing is, the evidence that I believe he is and he's a rewarder is that I diligently seek him. See how those go together? Some people, I just believe, I believe in him. I believe he rewards. Yeah, he rewards those who diligently seek him, who follow them with his whole heart because that is a real measuring stick of whether you believe or not. Because if you believe he's Lord and you believe he's good, but you go live your life however you want, but almost step up and do some rebukes, you're fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. You always see the combination of this in, in, in the scripture. But praise God, you know what? These aren't things that are unobtainable. These are obtainable things. Be honest with the Lord. Bring your struggles before God. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Do you believe that? He will. Look, at He wants to be, us to be a victorious people. 
We, and it's time that we rise up beyond Western Christianity that puts a wet blanket on all this stuff and says, Jesus is here to give you all your earthly aspirations. Now, God has a higher call on us than that, to be a people set apart for Him, to people who believe Him and that we wholly follow the Lord. And listen, we know that's the best place to be, and I, I ain't going to be suppressed. I, I ain't going to be counseled, canceled, anything else by the world. I'm moving forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust in Him. And again, God wants to strengthen. doesn't mean we're not going to, you know, trip up at times or fail. But a righteous man, you know, he might fall seven times, but you know what he does? He rises again, gets up again. And says, look at, look at this is a bad experience, but God wants to work it for good. Lord, come teach me. Come work it for good. Verse 13, and Joshua blessed him and gave him uh, Hebron, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, nah, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, to this day. Notice why. Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Again, he fulfilled. He fulfilled what God had called him to do. That's the measuring stick of it. And the name of Hebron was for, formerly uh, Kerjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from the war. Now listen, this is given to him on paper now. Yeah, it's yours. We're giving it to you. He actually had to go out and get the victory, and we'll, we'll see here in a second. We'll, we'll do this next chapter in about 10 minutes, that, that he gets that. What's interesting is the word Arba, that's what it was called before. It means giant. And Kurja means four. So it's the city of four giants. Imagine rolling up on that. The city of four. And these are like literal giants. Um, the word for Nephilim in the scripture means bully. And they bullied people. And we're going to bully you. And we're going to make you submit. We're going to make you bow down before us. And Caleb's like, that's where I want. A lot of people go, ah, we're not interested in that. You got anything else for me? That's the land I want. And again, it went from city of four giants, which was Anak, and he had three sons. So it was like a giant and his three giant boys. Hebron means friendship or alliance. And no doubt that's referring to friendship or alliance with God. I'll tell you, friendship and alliance with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ will always take down giants at every single turn. And so it says the land had rest from war, and it had let rest from war because they went to war. And you're like, man, I got, I got all this turmoil and things in my life. We talked about this last week. You know what? The, the call to fight the good fight. And if you're saying, man, I'm wrestling with this stuff and struggling, then that should be seen in your actions and so forth. And some people, man, I'm, you know what? I'm wrestling with looking at pornography. Are you, okay, are you wrestling with it? Are you praying and fasting? Have you gotten it out of your house? you have someone holding you accountability? Are you crying out to the Lord, get it out of me? Because that's actually wrestling, struggling with it, wrestling with it. When, when it's like I just succumb to it and then say, God, forgive me, and I still have it there, and I go here and there because I know it's going to be. You're fooling yourself. You're not wrestling with it. You're letting it overcome you. And God hasn't called us to be a people to do that. He's called us, like these guys are doing, to rise up and fight, man. Get a pulse. Call out to the Lord. That stuff and all sin's destructive. It is destructive. It will destroy you spiritually, mentally, and physically. 
And we need to have a men's conference so I can go into greater detail about that. We come to Joshua 15. I'm not going to read the first 12 verses. But there's a key word that comes up in verse 2, the southern border. In verse 5, the eastern border. Later in verse 5, the northern border. And then in verse 12, the west border. And it's laying out the borders of Judah. I have a map for you tonight. And if you go right down to the bottom, Judah you see in the green with Benjamin in the middle. That's what's being described here. That's what's being described here. Um, there's a few little gems, things. You can, oh man, there's so much you can always bring out of this, but I'm not going to do that. Here's the thing with this, though. It was especially important that the tribe of Judah, and that's what's being talked about, the tribe of Judah is having its land, you know what, allotted to them or the borders given. It was especially important that Judah gets established because Jacob or Israel had prophesied and I, for time's sake, I'm not going to read it in Genesis 49, 8 through 10, that the Messiah would come out of the tribe of Judah. That the scepter, which is the king's staff, will, not, will come out of the tribe of Judah. So God's establishing them in this land to bring judgment on these Canaanites, to sacrifice their children, practice gross immorality, occult, and they were not ashamed of it. Time for judgment had come upon them. They look very much like our nation's looking today. That was going on and was also God establishing them. I'm going to establish this people here to, to, to walk a covenant with me so I can bring the Savior of the world out of them to die on the cross for a, a bunch of ragtag individuals at 69.55 Portola Road, some, you know what, uh, 3,000 years later. Aren't you glad that God has always, again, had his, his thoughts on every single one of us? One other note here. Notice it says the word border. Hear this tonight. Borders and fences are of God. They were then and they are now. Read Genesis 11. We've talked about many times. God had said, be fruitful, fill the earth. Multiply, go fill the earth. And man said, no, we're all going to come together. They followed a nimrod. And they thought they'd build a tower up to heaven and defeat God. That's what happens when men get together to make a name for themselves. And God says, they get together and this is what they do. I'm going to go down and scatter them. And God moved them out with different dialects, not different races. There's only one race, the human race. Darwinism teaches racism. That's what I talked about Cal Poly on Sunday in second service. They teach racism at Cal Poly because they teach evolution. Look at we came from one blood, Adam and Eve. Race is not a biblical word. You won't find it anywhere. You'll hear tribes, tongues, ethnicities, nations. You will not hear the word race. It's nowhere in the scripture. But notice what it says in Acts 17, 26. It says, he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Again, one blood. And has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings. God said, we got to divide these people up into different countries. It's not that it was God's tent that we're at war with each other and so forth. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in hopes they might grope after him and find him. Because I don't know if you're noticing or not, but we're in a time right now where a beast system's being built and the world's trying to, the, the, the high ups in the world are trying to bring together again a one world economy, a one world government, and a one world religion. Why? They want to make a name for themselves and they have no intention at all of serving the Lord Jesus Christ in it. 
And God says, I got to break this up and put these people out in various places so that in doing that, they won't think they're God and they'll grope after me. These things are of the Lord. And God put borders around them, again, to preserve them, not to save just Israel, but to be the Savior of the world. Now, verse 13 down through 19, we see Caleb actually driving out the sons of Anak. It says, Now to Caleb, the son of Jephuniah, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjah Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishan, uh, Shishai, uh, Ahiman, and Telmei, the children of Anak. So there's Anak, his three sons, city of the four giants. And they went up from there to the inhabitants of Debri. Uh, uh, formerly the name of Debri was Kirjah Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjah Sefer and takes it, to him I'll give uh, Ashash, my daughter is a wife. So Othniel, the son of Kinzah, the brother of Caleb, took it. And look at the genetics were in such a place that, you know what, there were certain provisions. Don't go do that nowadays. And he gave, them, uh, gave him uh, ashes, his daughter as a wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismantled from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you wish? And she answered, give me a blessing. Since you've given me the land in the south, give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So again, the land was allotted to Caleb. But now Caleb had to go out and take it. And let me tell you, we are loaded down with promises of God. As, as a New Testament, New Covenant believers, but we got to get up and learn how to walk in those promises. You got to get up and learn how to walk. We're called to mature. We're called to move beyond being babes in Christ, to being toddlers in Christ, to being children in Christ, teenagers in Christ, young men, young women in Christ, to moving to be fathers and mothers in Christ. First John goes into this. We have to get up and walk by faith and learn to grow. And the Lord, sadly, a lot of people don't want to put that. Well, this is too much. Why? Just, just, just put my name in heaven. Let me go do what I want, I want to do. That's wasting your life. We're called to grow in the Lord. We've got to get up and go do work. Caleb got up and went God work. One other thing, he says, look, at whoever goes takes this other place, I'm going to give you my daughter as a wife. She must have been quite a prize. And we, we see that she was. And here's the thing. Single ladies here tonight, I'll only see married ladies tonight. Strive to be a woman of God that a man of God will be willing to fight for. And listen, men, strive to be a man of God that a woman of God would be willing to follow. I tell people all the time, saying, oh man, I just want to find someone. Your aim should be not Joe Christian, but a man who fears God. I've seen too many of them ugly situations. Well, he's a Christian, doesn't act like one, doesn't talk like one. Oh, but he is. He said a prayer. Does he fear God? That's who you want. You want, you're here, I'm single, I want a husband. Don't lower your expectations and your standards. Say, I want a man who fears God. The way you get that, be a woman who fears God. And if you're a man of God who fears God, you're like, I want a woman who fears God. Then fear God, and God will bring a woman who fears God along. God looks out for his kids. And then I love it because she asked for a field. How often do we have not? Because we ask not. 
And he says, well, I'll give you a field. And she says, also give me that spring. Okay, I'll give you that too. And I just think of our salvation, our adherence, that we come when we ask Christ into our hearts. And then that spring of living water of the Holy Spirit when we ask. There's verses of that. Quickly, very quickly here, verses 20. Down through verse 62. I ain't going to read it. Because if I say, I ain't going to read it, you know I probably will butcher it all up if I do read it. It's all the cities of Judah. They're not all on that map, but you can go down and you're going to see all kinds of places and so forth that come up other places in Scripture. And then you come to verse 63. It says, as far as the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's key, is it not? The children of Judah cannot drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Now, if you look on that map, you see Jerusalem's right on the border between Judah and Benjamin. Simeon's in the middle of Judah. I got that wrong earlier. But it's right on the border between Benjamin and Judah. And if you go to Judges 1, you get, you get more details to these things. And it's interesting in, judgment, in Judges 1.8, it says the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. So they initially went and they took Jerusalem. They, it says they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Look at Jerusalem is strategically situated unlike few cities in the world. The way that it is situated. These guys went in and they took it. But in verse 21 of Judges it says, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabit Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And it's interesting. King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The first, tri- or the first king they'd have over, over uh, Israel who would prove to not be a man of God. But God would raise up a man after him who said, he says he was a man after my own heart, he was David. And listen, God later would allow David to get the victory in Jerusalem, not King Saul. And it's very prophetic because our king would get us the victory in Jerusalem when he would die on the cross for our sins. And praise God, there is another final victory coming very soon when the Lord Jesus Christ will come down to Armageddon, then Basra, then to the Mount of Olives on Jerusalem where he'll reign for a thousand years. It's going to be glorious. Heavenly Father, we bless and praise you. We thank you for your word, your goodness. Oh, Lord, help us to be a people growing in our faith and our trust in you, Lord. If you're here tonight and you haven't called upon Christ, listen, he stands ready to wash and cleanse you of your sin. We have a sin problem that separates us from God. Jesus atoned for our sins on the cross. He rose from the grave. And the scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ask Him to be your Lord tonight. Ask Him to save you tonight, to wash you of your sins. Call on Him. Call on Him as one who wants to be forgiven and wants to be a disciple of Jesus. He will wash you, forgive you, and meet you where you are at. Lord, any in that place, meet them where they're at, God, as only you can. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, and we said, amen. God bless.